0: Uh, in the church Bibles, that's page 1000 and uh, in the large print, sorry, 1527, and in the uh, church Bibles, page 983. And this evening, we're going to look at chapter 16 and verses 13 to uh, 28. so if you return there uh, in recent uh, days uh, there has been lots of uh, bad news stories uh, about all sorts of things uh, and it's always nice therefore when you read something which is either a good news story and i do enjoy good news stories but i also uh, probably enjoy too uh, maybe too much amusing news stories uh, and this month, there was a very amusing story in the, uh, in the papers about some American tourists that were walking in Aberdeenshire, not far from Balmoral. You may have uh, read this in the news. And as they were walking, they met a lady who was with a policeman. She was dressed in uh, tweeds and wearing a headscarf uh, when she came across the group of tourists. Now, we know who this is. this is. This is our queen. But unaware as they were of who she was, they struck up a conversation and they asked her if she lived in the area, to which she replied, she did indeed have a house nearby. And they went on to question whether she had ever met the queen herself. And not wanting to reveal who she was, She enjoyed a private joke as she gestured towards her security officer, Mr. Griffin, and said, No, but this policeman has, and has served her faithfully for many years. Well, this is a a funny story, uh, partly because it shows uh, perhaps the sense of humor of our cream, which I think was very, very good. Uh, But it's a funny story of, of not recognizing someone. But at the same time... In Matthew's gospel, there isn't a queen here, but a king who is so often not recognized. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is the Messiah who has come to save us from our sins. He's right there, and yet he is missed so often completely. Now, we come back to Matthew's gospel after a few weeks away over the summer. And just as a reminder of where we are, Uh, Matthew's gospel is showing us that Jesus is the king, the king that has been promised from the Old Testament who will save his people from their sins. There has been a build-up throughout this gospel where more and more signs of his identity are being shown. However, many people do not see who he is. They completely uh, miss him, if you like, just like those tourists when they saw the queen. Many people, including his disciples, uh, might see who he is but misunderstand him. And where we left off last time in chapter 16 was looking at the subject of spiritual blindness. So in verses 1 to 4, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders who knew that Old Testament and should have known who he was, well, they were blind spiritually because they were stubborn and they had a prejudice against him, so they asked him for a sign from heaven They totally miss who he is because they are stubborn. They don't want him to be who he claims to be. And then there are his disciples in verses 5 to 12, the ones who have been following him for uh, this period of time in Matthew's gospel. And they're blinded because they're thinking when Jesus mentions bread about their stomachs. They are distracted by worldly concerns and so they misunderstand Jesus. However, the disciples have been growing in their understanding. We've seen signs of this uh, throughout the gospel. And we come to a point today, just after seeing spiritual blindness, where the disciples appear finally to see. We hear them declare through Peter the verse that we've been learning, uh, a key verse in Matthew's gospel, where Peter declares, You are the Messiah. But as we go through the rest of this chapter, that declaration from Peter's mouth doesn't necessarily result in a complete understanding in the mind and hearts of the disciples, especially Peter. And I think what we'll do is look at this over the next two weeks. Not only are we going to see that Jesus is the Messiah, but also what kind of Messiah he is and what it means to follow him. So we're going to read the whole of uh, the, the passage, verses 13 to 28, uh, but we'll look at it over two parts this week, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper, and then we'll look at the rest of it next week. But if you're, hopefully you're there by now, Matthew chapter 16, and we'll read from verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. In verse 13, this passage uh, begins with uh, Jesus and his disciples in the region of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a place that was filled with pagan temples, and it was recently renamed. It was in the territory of Herod Philip, one of Herod the Great's sons, who named it after himself, Philip, which is where we get the Philippi, and to gain favor with the emperor, he put Caesarea in front of it. Also to gain favor of the emperor at this time, a huge temple was being built to Caesar, dedicated to him and the worship of him. And so in Caesarea Philippi, with all these pagan temples, and in a place where Caesar himself, the king of the known world, was worshipped, he asks an interesting question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. It links him to the Old Testament name of the coming king in the book of Daniel. But it also reminds us of Jesus' manhood. But in asking this question, he is looking for the disciples to see that he is more than a man. In fact, what he is looking for is to see that he's not just more than a man he's more than anything else he's he's not just another god to add to the pagan temples all around them he's not uh, another emperor like Caesar no Jesus is completely unique but in verse 14 the answer to the question of who other people say Jesus is doesn't declare perhaps what Jesus is looking for Uh, There's lots of opinion as to who he is. Uh, Some uh, say he's John the Baptist. Remember, uh, King Herod, earlier on in the gospel, thought Jesus was John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Uh, Some thought he was Elijah, who was prophesied to come back and prepare the way for the Messiah in the book of Malachi. Some thought he was Jeremiah, who spoke of the Messiah, or one of the other prophets, Jesus spoke and acted like someone from the Old Testament. Uh, Yesterday, I was in in Sports Direct. We had to get uh, some football boots uh, from there. And there was a man in Sports Direct that I looked at and I thought, you know what, I, I recognize this guy from somewhere. I couldn't put my finger on who this man was. He'd obviously just been to a Wolves game because he was wearing a Wolves shirt and he, was, he wasn't that far from Molyneux. But I, it was out of context and I was thinking, who is this guy? It turns out, I found out later, because I was told by one of my children, it's a teacher at their school. But because he was out of the context of, of the school, I totally didn't know who he was. But there was something about him that was kind of recognizable. And that's kind of what people saw with Jesus. They saw him and they were thinking, he reminds me of someone. It's like Elijah or Jeremiah or John the Baptist. But in seeing him, they miss who he really is. And so Jesus, he's not just another uh, prophet from the Old Testament. He is a bit like them, but he's more than that. People didn't recognize who he was. Now, all of these Old Testament characters, by the way, they they have a ring of truth about how Jesus is like them. Because he was, Jesus, a prophet. He was prophesied about. He did speak God's word, just like those prophets in the Old Testament did. But he's more than a prophet. And today, there are many opinions about who Jesus is that do have a ring of truth about them. He was a great teacher. Many people say that, don't they? Jesus was a great teacher, and he was, but he was more than just a great teacher. Many people say that he was a revolutionary, and he did turn the world the right side up in many ways, but he was more than an earthly revolutionary. Many people say he was a great man, and of course, Jesus was a great man, but he is more than a man. And so in verse 15, after hearing all of those opinions about who Jesus is, he turns to the disciples and he asks them directly for their own thoughts. And here Jesus is speaking to all of the disciples when it says, uh, what about you? He's talking to all of them. You is plural here. And after seeing all that they have seen and hearing all that they've heard Jesus say, what conclusions have they come to? about who Jesus is. And before we look at their answer, what well, it's worth considering, what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? You may have read the Gospels. You may have been sitting here listening to God's word many times. This may be the first time perhaps you've ever heard this. You may have some thoughts of your own. Who would you say Jesus is? Well, the actual answer, in fact, the only answer is found in verse 16. Simon Peter answers on behalf of the group of disciples Jesus was asking the question to. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And this is a wonderful confession, and a true one, which we'll see Jesus affirm in the next verse. In Caesarea Philippi, in the midst of all those temples, in the midst of a temple to the the emperor himself, the disciples say, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So let's uh, just break that down. Jesus is the Messiah, so Jesus is God's king who has come to save his people from their sins and rule over them. So he is God's king. The emperor, he might be an earthly king over an empire, but Jesus is God's king over the whole world and everybody in it. And he is the king who has come to save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Messiah. But he also says he is the son of the living God. So Jesus is God the Son himself, deity. And unlike the pagan deities around them, this Jesus is the living God. The other gods are not even gods. They're worse than dead because they never even existed. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He is God's King, who is God's Son, fully man, fully God, The only one who can save us from sin. That is Jesus. And whatever other opinion you may have of him, this is the truth. This is who he is. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that really, that declaration is the main point of this this whole passage. Really, right down to the end of uh, uh, the transfiguration account at the beginning of chapter 17. The the big point here is... Is that Jesus is the Messiah? Jesus is the Messiah. In Caesarea Philippi, the disciples saw Jesus is the only Messiah, the only God. Not the Emperor, not the other religions, not anyone or anything else. Jesus is totally unique. And for us today, this confession of Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, flies in the face of every other confession of all other uh, religions and philosophies and ways of life. This is the truth. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Some people may say that all religions are the same or just different ways to get to God. Rubbish. Jesus is the only way. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. There isn't another one, Jesus. Some confessions say, well, that there is no God. Jesus is God. Some confessions say that God doesn't matter. Jesus is the Messiah, the only one that can save us from sin. It matters. It's life and death, heaven and hell. Jesus has revealed in word and deed that he is the Messiah. Peter's and the disciples are not saying these words uh, without any basis or foundation. They have seen him. They have seen what he has done. They have seen what he has said. He is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. And as Messiah, he has come to save us from our sins. And in Acts, when Peter uh, speaks there of Jesus, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other way. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the son of the living God. And as the passage goes, goes on, we begin to unpack what kind of Messiah this Jesus is. And what it means to follow this Messiah, this God, as our king. And in fact, Matthew gives us, uh, the rest, for, in the rest of chapter 16, uh, three important truths about this Messiah. Truth number one is that he is revealed by God. Truth number two is that he is unexpected by people. And truth number three is that he is victorious over all. And tonight we're just going to look at that first one, how he is revealed by God. And then next week we'll unpack uh, the other two, how he is unexpected by people and how he is victorious over all. So first of all, Jesus is Messiah revealed by God. How can we know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? How can we know? How did Peter know this? Is it because he was somehow more intelligent than everybody else? Is it because his disciples were born into a home whose parents told them about Jesus? Well, obviously uh, not these disciples, but is it people that are born into Christian families that can know about Jesus and nobody else? Is it self-discovery? Now, all those things are used by God, and all those things uh, can be helpful. But the only way that we can know that Jesus is Messiah is if God reveals it to us himself. That's the point of verse 17. Look at what it says. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Simon the spokesman for the disciples, is called blessed. And blessed means to have divine favor or divine congratulations. Simon is is blessed by God. He's he's given favor by God. God is, is pleased with what he said because the truth he has just declared has been revealed to him by the Father in heaven. That's what Jesus says there in verse 17. Not by flesh and blood. So Uh, Not by any human agency, but by God himself. We can only know who Jesus really is if God reveals it to us. And wonderfully he does. Wonderfully he shows us who Jesus is. He reveals this truth through the words and works of Jesus that we see in God's word, the Bible. He reveals this truth through the teaching of God's word. And whenever we understand who Jesus is, whenever we understand what the Bible is saying to us, and respond rightly to it, all the glory and all the credit goes to God. Because the Father has shown us through the work of the Spirit what these things mean. And that's remarkably humbling, isn't it? I can't stand here and say I understand these things because I'm cleverer than you. <laughs> I can't say I understand these things because uh, I've, I've anything special about me. By amazing grace, this sinner has been shown who Jesus is by God. It's humbling, isn't it, to think that? Amazing grace. That God has chosen to reveal himself to us. He doesn't have to do that. We don't deserve that. What we deserve is just to be left on our own. But God reveals himself to us. The truth that it is only by God opening our eyes and our minds and our hearts that we can know him. Demolishes arrogance and pride. But this truth also gives us hope. As we pray for those whose hearts are hard, whose eyes are blind. Because praying is praying to a heavenly father and praying to a father who is the only one who can do anything about that hardness and blindness. And wonderfully, we're praying to a God who does do that work. And whenever we doubt it, we can look in the mirror and say, but he revealed himself to me. So God himself is the one that reveals the truth of who Jesus is. But we find out more of how God does that in verses 18 and 19. In these verses we see that he is revealed by his father through his church. Uh, The word, uh, I don't know if if you know what the word church means, but it's not a building. Uh, We learned about that at Contagious Camp uh, over this summer. The church is, is not a building. There's no church building uh, in the New Testament. The church literally means uh, called out once, called out once. So in the context of this passage, the church are those who have been called out by God based on the confession that Jesus is the Messiah. So the church are God's people, and God's people are those who agree with the disciples. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And God's people are the ones through whom God reveals this truth about Jesus to the world. That's the meaning, in short, of verses 18 and 19. We'll unpack them, but the key point is this. The church, God's people, are the ones through whom God reveals that Jesus is the Messiah. So look at verse 18, first of all. It begins, by the way, with and. So that and links to what was before. So uh, Jesus is going to elaborate on how the Father reveals the truth of who Jesus is. So he says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, this verse has been very controversial over the history of the church. And the controversy has been on who or what is this rock upon which Jesus builds his church. Uh, Some say it's it's Jesus himself. Uh, Some have said it is the confession that he made in verse 16. Roman Catholics have based their belief on Peter being the first pope on this verse. So what does Jesus mean? Well, as you read this, uh, it's helpful to understand that the name Peter means rock or stone. That's what his name means. Every uh, body who has a name has a meaning behind the name. You may not know what that meaning is, but the name Peter means rock or stone. And Jesus is very clearly here, you can't read it any other way, making use of the name Peter, using the name to point out how he is going to build the church that confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. So the rock that Jesus is talking about here is Peter and the disciples. Jesus has asked all of them who they think he is and the confession was given by Peter as a spokesman for them all. Remember when he said who do you say I am it's it's to all of them and the rock is Peter and the disciples. Confessing Jesus as Messiah. So Jesus builds his church, the people of God, who proclaim the Messiah of God, on Peter and the other disciples. And in the end, he builds it upon all Christians who confess that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter's name is appropriately used by Jesus, first of all, because of what it means. But there is a sense as well, if we read the book of Acts, where Peter was the first of the apostles to be used by Jesus to build his church. Peter was the one on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 who first preached that sermon when the Holy Spirit came. And in fact, in Acts chapters 2 through to chapter 10, Peter is the main focus of the narrative as the church is built. But at the same time, the other disciples were uh, were used by God all over the world. And a key to understanding what Jesus means here is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, which I'll put upon the, the screen. Uh, Paul here is, is speaking about what, what makes up the people of God. That's what he means. What, what, what is the church? And he says this consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So the church is not a physical building, but is described as a building, a building where the bricks are the people of God and God's people of all time are part of the church building. But the building is founded on the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the most important, the cornerstone around which all the other stones are aligned. And as the church continues to be built up today, as Christians proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, the building grows and grows. And how do we become part of that? It is through the proclamation of the gospel. The good news that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, has died for our sins and has risen from the dead and all the other uh, things we say in the Apostles' Creed. That is how God reveals himself to us. By his Father, through his church. When the, uh, if you speak to a Roman Catholic and they try and take you to this verse... What you should say to them is that this is Peter speaking on behalf of all the disciples. There is nothing in this verse about any successors to Peter. Uh, that's reading into into it that it is not there. And you can take them to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 and say, Upon the teaching of apostles and prophets, Peter and all the others, the church has been built on. And I am part of that. Because I confess that Jesus is the Messiah. And this... This, this building is going to keep on growing and growing and growing because Jesus says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Hades is uh, the place of the dead, used often in this way in the Old Testament. And the gates of death are where the dead are locked away. As one writer said, the gates of Hades are the imprisoning power of death. And what Jesus means here is that his church will keep being built. His name will continue to be proclaimed. It will never, ever, under any circumstances, be overcome by death. And we've seen that to be true because the church has tried to be wiped out over the, since its very birth. But here we are, more people in the last hundred years have proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah than at any time since the time of Christ. Death will not overcome the church. It will go on forever. So the first big point about how uh, the Father reveals Jesus as the Messiah is this. It is through the never-ending witness and proclamation of the church which he is building. It is through the never-ending witness and proclamation of the church which he is building. I hope that makes sense. That is what Jesus, what what God does, how he reveals who Jesus is. But how he does that is what verse 19 is about. Verse 19 explains how the church reveals that Jesus is the Messiah. And that is with the keys of the kingdom. Look at verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The holder of the keys has a degree of authority. In this context, the key holder is not the owner of the kingdom, but one who has authority in it. It's a little bit like this. Some of you, I know, in the church have cleaners who come in your house. And some of your cleaners have keys to your house. And they have, when they go in your house, a a measure of authority. Things that they are able to do within your house. So some of your cleaners will, will clean perhaps certain rooms that you've told them to. Some cleaners will do the whole house. Some cleaners, I know, even fix things that they see are broken. Because they have the authority from the owners of the house to do that work. They might have a set of keys but they don't own the home. They have an authority within the home. That is what is going on here. The disciples are given the keys to Jesus' kingdom. They don't own it, but they are given the keys to it so that they have a measure of authority in the kingdom. And the authority they have is to bind and loose. What does that mean? Well, binding and loosing is basically rendering judgment. If you have a prisoner who had cha- have chains on them, the keys are used by one in authority to either lock them up if they're guilty or let them loose if they are innocent. The keyholder has the authority to bind them or to loose them depending on the judgment that they are giving. So what is it that the disciples have the authority to judge? Well, again, the context is linked to the confession in verse 16. It is based on this confession that the disciples have made. So in God's kingdom, the disciples are given authority to judge what the gospel is and who belongs to the kingdom. They judge what the gospel is and who belongs to the kingdom. That is the judgment that they can render. That is what they use the keys of the kingdom for. It's God's kingdom, and he tells his disciples, you have authority to say, what is the gospel? And you have authority to say, who is part of this kingdom? And they did this, these disciples, by writing down the gospels, which show us who Jesus is. And they wrote the epistles and the revelation to explain not only who Jesus is, but what does a disciple look like? How do we live as Christians? What does it mean to live in his kingdom? And a good summary of the faith that the apostles uh, taught is what we said together tonight in the Apostles' Creed. That is the gospel. And in chapter 18, which is a bit later on, we're going to see that these same keys are given to the church as a whole. Not just Peter and his disciples, but to the church. And as a church, we are able to exercise authority of judging what is the gospel and who is a Christian. So how do we do that? How, as a church, be worth looking at it practically, isn't it, rather than um, as a a higher thing? How is it that we do that practically? Well, here's how, as a church in Pelsall, with keys to the kingdom, we do this. We have a doctrine statement that tells us what the gospel is. It's pinned up uh, in the foyer outside. That is the fundamentals of our faith. We can disagree about all sorts of things and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. But if we say that any of those things on that doctrine statement are not true, we cannot say that we're Christians. And we regularly proclaim together the Apostles' Creed. Uh, We have a church member directory that gives a list of people that we have affirmed as a church, these are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that doesn't mean to say if you're not in the members directory, you're not a Christian, but what it is to say is that a way that we as a church use the keys of the kingdom is to affirm someone as a believer as they join us as a member of the church. We have missionaries that we agree to support if they teach this gospel. We have visitors that come and preach that we have verified as a church believe what we believe. We don't have just anybody come and speak in our pulpit. We have people that we uh, have have, have vetted that they agree with what our doctrine statement says. Uh, We teach what Christian living is through teaching the word given by the apostles. And as we'll see in chapter 18... We put out of the church and say, we cannot affirm that this person is a Christian, those who do not follow the teaching of the Bible. And all of this in our church is done as a body. So the elders do not decide on their own who is a member. But rather, as elders, we recommend people for membership and we vote on it as a body, as a church. And when we recommend someone as a member, we have said as elders, this person agrees with our statement of faith, they believe the gospel, and from what we can see, they are faithfully following Jesus. So we can say they believe what the gospel is, and we can say they are a Christian, they can join us. And all of this is done so that we are proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah to the world, So that as a church, we can agree who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And as a united body, shine that light to the world that needs to hear that message. So let's be clear on what Jesus is saying in these verses. Jesus is the Messiah. Only God can reveal this truth to us. And God reveals this truth through the church who are the ones that proclaim Jesus is the Messiah. The church proclaim this as they judge according to God's word what the gospel is and who belongs to God's kingdom. Now, there's, there's a lot there in those verses. I'm very happy uh, to talk more about them to you. Uh, I hope you understand uh, what is going on here. But if some things have been missed, I can clarify, but get the main point. Jesus is the Messiah. It's revealed by the Father through the church. And then we come uh, to verse 20, which seems a rather odd verse. If if Jesus is saying, uh, um, the Father reveals it and I want the church to be the ones to reveal it, in verse 20, it's an odd place to put, he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Well, the point of these verses uh, is revealed more as the passage goes on. Because before the time that the Holy Spirit came, which is where we are in Matthew, there was some misunderstanding even among his disciples about who Jesus, uh, what, what it means to follow Jesus, and what he would do to save us from sin. Uh, as a clue as to why uh, that con- how that confusion was there, uh, Peter, who is declared as the rock on which the church will be built in verse um, seventeen, of verse eighteen, in verse. 23 is declared to be satan. So you can see that there was obviously a misunderstanding about what kind of messiah Jesus would be. We'll see that next week, but the reason Jesus is to the disciples are told to stay quiet is because the disciples didn't yet fully understand who what kind of messiah Jesus was. But more on that next week. There's much here for us even tonight, and it's very practical in how we live as Christians. This isn't just about how we function as a church. As a Christian, I want to be someone who knows God more. That's what a Christian is, isn't it? We want God to reveal more of Jesus to us. Yes, we can declare with Peter, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But don't you want to know even more about him? That's what a Christian is. We desire to know more of Jesus. And if we want to do that, then we need to pray to God to to show us. And so how can we practically apply these things? Well, first of all, God has revealed Jesus to us through his word, the Bible. So a very practical application of these words is to get into your Bibles, where we can find God speaking to us. There are ways you can be helped in doing that through study notes and so on, but we need to be daily in the word of God in what he has revealed to us so that we can know him more. And as we know him more, we're more able to share with others the truth of who Jesus is. But also, very practically, if Jesus chooses to reveal himself and the salvation plan uh, by his word through the church, well then very obviously, a way of applying these words is to say, get involved in the work of the local church. And specifically, the church that we are part of here in Pelsall. Be at church, be at the services, be in prayer meeting and pray for the work of the church. Take part in the home groups, get involved in the work that's going on as we proclaim the gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And there are lots of opportunities within the church where we can be about that business. And if you want to find, if you want to serve in in, in the church in that uh, in that mission, in that proclamation, you don't feel that you are. Well, then come and speak to one of us elders, and it's, it's, it's not a conversation we're reluctant to have. If someone comes and says, "I really want to serve Jesus more. How can I do that in the church?" We'd love to talk to you about that. That would be that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Now tonight we uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper, and I don't want to want to rush through that. So that's why we'll continue looking at the rest of the passage. Uh, next week, we're going to see more about what kind of Messiah Jesus is. It's, it's really wonderful stuff. Uh, but as we began uh, this sermon with the Queen, uh, just as a, a thought on, on our Queen, it was quite understandable while she was at Balmoral uh, that she did not want those tourists to know who she was. It's understandable why our Queen uh, wants to perhaps sometimes uh, stay very private, But we can thank God that he has chosen not to be like that, that he has, by his amazing grace, declared himself to us, revealed himself so we can know him. And that's wonderful, isn't it? We have seen uh, God's amazing grace in showing us that Jesus is the Messiah. And we're going to sing as a church in response to those truths, uh, O Church, Arise. Uh, This song uh, speaks of the church arising so that we can proclaim the truth of the gospel together, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So before we gather around the Lord's table, let's stand and sing as a body of believers who believe in these truths, Uh, O church arise and put your armor on.